welcome to or welcome back to the Shift Control Podcast. Uh, my name is Paul McAmillan. Thanks for joining me again. This podcast is another solo cast. Um, I'm trying to punctuate the podcasts in between having guests and those in-conversation podcasts with just some uh, solo stuff. So this one is all about sales training. Um, it's not all about sales training. One of the things that I noticed recently is a lot of the inquiries I get from my website and a lot of the work that I've been doing is in their own sales training, coaching, um, sales strategy, and it's um, everything around sales. And it's probably not really a surprise given that a lot of my social media work, um, blogging and podcasting has been about um, sales training, coaching, sales strategy, sales management, and all that sort of stuff. But Shift Control was really brought about for one reason, and that was to bring together sales training and um, marketing strategy. I'd always found before that sales teams and marketing teams very seldom communicated with each other. I also found that big businesses or any size of business was really more intent on getting a message out to their customers rather than spending time communicating that message internally. And so for a long time, if you were a salesperson, there was a huge uh, chasm between what you were trying to do and the message the market, uh, the message that the company was putting out to the market. Um, I give that the name of the value deficit, where if the salesperson doesn't understand the value, then he resorts to discount and all that sort of stuff. Um, but one of the things that I, I do as well is the sales coaching and all that. Um, I write marketing plans for business and um, I'm probably more of a marketing strategist than a tactician. And there's a big difference between a strategist and a tactician. I might talk about that later. But I just wanted to let you know that last week I was um, I became a fellow of the Chartered Institute of Marketing. Um, and all I can tell you about that is that it cost me about 250 quid for the year. Um, but according to the seven principles of influence, it gives me some kind of authority. Um, and I'm saying that very cynically. I'm not really sure how it's going to benefit me at all, but I've been in marketing for quite some time. Um, I studied marketing as a student. I've worked on many different businesses as a marketeer, as a marketing lead, um, with various different responsibilities and titles and all that sort of stuff. So. I thought it was time to get associated um, and that work has taken me over this last number of weeks to start reviewing and revising some of um, sort of marketing textbooks and I bought a new one recently um, which is about transform, I'll tell you the title in a second actually but um, it's kind of uh, all about content, it's all about writing content. I've had some really interesting guests on the show before who talk about storytelling and the art of storytelling. And everybody at the minute is talking about, you know, what's your brand story and let us tell your brand story in social media. And it's quite a complex thing. You know, it's not just as easy, easy as saying once upon a time. Um, there's a whole lot of stuff that you need to kind of factor in. Protagonist, antagonist, you know, I'm not going to go through, through it now. Um, but I've just picked up a brilliant book called uh, Transformative Digital Marketing. Um, by Jason Cormier, James Clark, Bill Eager. It's published uh, by, I think it's by their agency, Room 214 is their agency. It's a really easy to read book. 
I don't mean easy to read as it's like infantile in its, in its, in its language. It just makes a lot of sense. Um, so one of the things that I came across fairly early on in the book uh, was a, they gloss over the whole idea of personas. So today they call them personas back and in my day of learning it was about target audiences, about segmentation, it was about customer clusters and everything. So let's keep with the, the stay down with the kids and call them personas. Um, he talks about trying to weave in together personas against um, what he calls brand archetypes. Very recently I started listening to the Blind Boy podcast. Um, which is the, your fella out of the Rubber Bandits whose podcast is get, gaining some serious traction. Um, I think it's number one in the Irish charts um, every week since it's been published, which is about eight or nine weeks. Um, definitely take a listen to it because he's got some serious breadth and depth of conversation. He first was talking about these um, archetypes, um, which is basically uh, uh, probably not created by Carl Jung, but goes back maybe as far as, um, uh, I don't know, uh, maybe it's mentioned in the Odyssey, um, I, something Odysseus and something or something or other. So it's great literature anyway, I can't really remember because I read it very vague, very quickly in, the, in that book. But Carl Jung um, had created the idea that archetypes are these universal um, archaic patterns and stories and images that um, derive from our collective unconscious. Um, so he talks about things like um, the twister, the jester, every man lover, creator, and in the book they apply that logic to um, the relevance of what those archetypes do. So for example, the archetype the creator is innovative and creative, and a brand example of that would be Lego. Um, an archetype of the caregiver is that they care for others would be like Volvo, um, and the a hero it would be adventurous um, and act courageously and then the brand that they would associate with, with that archetype would be Land Rover and so on. But it's a brilliant book, the uh, Transformative Digital Marketing. It's really, really good. It gives really, really good direction on content and writing content, um, on just, just thinking strategically about content, you know, about stock content and flow content. Um, talks about... Um, you know, the five by five by five rules, you pick your five personas, you pick five stages in the buyer's journey, and then you um, have five questions that each of those persona needs to be answered along that journey. Um, and even from reading that book, I also discovered something new, um, which is the, there's a new sort of, sort of sales funnel, um, the AIDA, which is made famous, and the Glen Gary, Glen Ross, um, Alec Baldwin, um, piece where he talks about attention, uh, interest, decision and action, have you made your decision for Christ? Um, but this new um, kind of funnel is discover, consider, decide and then advocate, which is from Babcock Jen Jenkins in 2017, that's a resource from Babcock Jenkins. Um, discover, consider, decide and advocate. AIDA was something that has gone back to the 1890s so it's not relatively new in the context um, of marketing. So um, I found it refreshing to sort of discover this new um, piece, but this, this new sales or marketing funnel um, uh, that talks about the buyer journey is just unbelievable. Um, you can really need to see it. It certainly is not gonna be done any justice by me trying to talk about the different stages um, the content that's required, the purpose of each 
of the stages um, uh, from awareness to creating reputation to um, demand generation lead nurturing all that sort of stuff it's but it's really interesting to look at and that's from Babcock Jenkins so if you want to google the buyer's journey um, I'll try and write that if I can remember in the notes to this podcast um, which I did promise at the beginning was all about sales uh, training um, so yeah um, but I just wanted to make the point of uh, reconfirming that um, I'm not just a, a sales coach and shift control doesn't just work with high performance sales teams or indeed those those teams that strive for better performance um, so this podcast is really all about um, the notion that maybe sales training doesn't work um, or that there are certain conditions and situations where sales training definitely won't work. There's a quote that maybe is attributed to Henry Ford, um, which is the only thing worse than training your staff and having them leave is not training them and having them stay. I used to attribute that to David Packard, um, but somebody said it, and certainly if they didn't say it, it probably needed said. I think there's many um, business owners, there's HR directors and sales directors that are still unsure as to the benefits of sales training. This last six months, I've noticed a real surge in the uptake, particularly in the construction sector and, and related industries. Um, so uh, this last maybe six to eight months, I've been working very closely with some brilliant clients um, who've given me a real insight into their business and the challenges that they face and their people face all the time. And they're really, really engaged in, in sales training and coaching and see the benefit of it. Um, but I'm not sure that it works all the time um, there's maybe an idea that sales training will come in and it will serve a number of purposes and serve them really quickly as if you'd go to the doctor and give, be given some kind of medication and would, would receive almost instantaneous results and I don't think that's ever happened. There are times that the results have been very good, there are times the results have been average and the times there haven't been any results really um, but it's an expectation that um, you know the sales training um, I'm paying good money for this, therefore it must work. If only that were the case. I think there are four or five things that you need to consider if you're truly going to embrace sales training. These are the four or five points that I would suggest that I've learned um, over this last few years that I'd like to share in this podcast um, that really determine whether you're on course for a favorable outcome or whether you're just going to get um, some kind of confirmation, confirmation bias, depending on whatever your bias might be. Um, one of the things that, that I've noticed that I would certainly, from my experience, I've not noticed, I would recommend is that you take full discovery um, of your business um, before you even go to the website and start trying to find um, reputable sales trainers and sales coaches um, in, your, in, the, in the area. Um, it's all well and good talking about the um, what your skill, skill ga skills gaps are and your skills gaps aren't based on your bottom right hand corner or your profit and loss for the quarter there are skills gaps that you may not really be fully aware of um, you know are, are your team fully a you know what standard are your team operating at what marketing support do they get what age and maturity um, are they what um, you know where's your business coming from all that sort of stuff um, what are the strengths and weaknesses of the team um, you know, it's not training's not the only solution for an underperforming sales team. Conversely, it's not only an underperforming sales team that will benefit from sales training. 
So you need to be fully aware of your starting point. I would typically use SauceTech. Um, P.R. Smith has been on the podcast with me before and um, he's, he's got a really brilliant um, strategic planning model which is S-O-S-T-A-C-E, SauceTech. And the S starts off with situation analysis. The O is for objectives, S for strategy, T for tactics, F for actions and C for controls. Um, anybody who's read Alistair Campbell's winning or winner's book, you will hear him talking about the OST, the objectives, the strategy and the tactics. Um, so it's not as if it's something very unique to P.R. Smith, but the way he explains it and the way he uses the model, um, it's tailor-made for business development and for really determining where you are and the direction you want to go on. And it's all well and good knowing you need sales training and you knowing you need to give um, the sales team maybe a little bit of motivation and, and encouragement. Um, but it's as much about inspiration, but you can't have anything unless you fully know your direction. Um, and you know, you kind of really need to understand why. So the first thing I would suggest is that you undertake a full discovery as to where you are with your sales, what your pain points are. Um, is it a process issue? Um, is it a competitor issue? What's the market looking like? Um, what's the, the, what diagnosis would you give um, to your existing customers, your churn rate, all that sort of stuff. And it's all about getting that information together um, as you know, insights as insights and research that you can use to inform your thinking moving forward before you even speak to uh, any kind of coach, before you even see if there's a fit with that person um, or not. Um, one of the things that I've, I would also suggest is um, moving, moving along P.R. Smith's um, planning tool to the SOSTAC and um, the final one is the C is for controls. Um, what are you currently measuring? What's your definition of success? And do you want to grow your business? And it's about uh, keeping keeping customers, um, attracting new types of customers, uh, moving into new territories, charging more money. There are so many different factors that can account for your success in the bottom right hand corner. Um, and that stuff needs to be measured. If it's going to be measured, then it needs to be managed. So that's one of the things that I would say is you've got to have a good um, understanding of where you are and you've got to be able to apply that to the numbers and you've got to be able to manage the numbers. Otherwise, you're not really sure if there's going to be any kind of progress made in, in, the, in the time between one session of training and the next session of training. The next thing that I've said before, and I said, sort of kind of alluded to it at the beginning of this podcast was um, you need to get your marketing team involved. Um, far too many times I have worked with salespeople um, and when sales are down, the first thing they do is point the finger at the marketing team and blame them for really poor uh, delivery of campaigns, really poor uh, strategic stuff, poor tactical stuff, messaging is all wrong, etc, etc. And you give a salesperson any opportunity to, to, to point the finger and they will take that. And the reason I know that is because I've done it myself. Um, marketing teams typically whenever the salespeople aren't involved will start blaming the salespeople for not being able to convert the leads that they have generated and so it goes and you have an internal conflict situation that is never resolved uh, very easily or quickly and the logical thing is that your sales team should be able to converse articulately with your customers um, about the marketing messages and those marketing messages need to have some kind of cultural fit as well so all of a sudden before you, you start thinking about who you should employ for your sales training, you need to really understand where the culture of the business is, um, what you want the culture of the business to look like, what sort of um, 
team that you can create that can work collaboratively to um, feedback from customers, from existing customers, to start making the research and those customer satisfaction surveys that you use to make them relevant and meaningful and to act on them. And for that to happen, you need marketing and sales working in tandem. And that's why I don't like sales and marketing. I prefer to use business development because our business growth units, um, I just think sales and marketing teams, um, many salespeople don't have the qualifications of the marketeers and many of the marketeers don't have the emotional intelligence and the skill set of some of the salespeople. It's a very sweeping statement. Um, but I stand over it in the context of this as a generic thing to create a working team that can work together. Um, you can't sell unless you know the marketing message and you can't market properly unless you understand what the worldview is from the salesperson and their customers. Um, your man Deming, who was all over that Six Sigma, I think that is what he was all over in the 1950s and the Toyota, uh, the Forerunner to Toyota, he said something um, that if you can't describe what you are doing as a process, you don't know what you're doing. So many businesses that I work with struggle to articulate the sales process. Um, and it's not because they don't really know it, it's because they've never actually sat down and had to write it before and write it or draw it or, you know, digitally reformat it, whatever way that you need to present it, you need to have a process. And if that process is not visible, again, like water, salespeople will find every gap that's available. And a sales coach coming in and coaching for a day a week or two days a week will mean that there are loads of gaps in between for the salesperson to revert to form or to move away from a process. Um, again, a process needs to be fairly rigid and precise but it needs to give the salesperson or the management team that little bit of latitude and flexibility so that they can change their performance as required um, or to pivot to a different direction as needs be. But a fairly fixed process is, you know, just like driving your car, there's a fairly straightforward process in terms of the mechanics of driving the car and the laws that you need to abide by to get you from A to B. So it's not necessarily trying to create something that's complex, but it's more a matter of creating something that makes sense to everybody. But again, it goes back to the point that it needs to be managed. If it ain't managed, then you're not sure if what's not working and what isn't work, what isn't what isn't working. Um, the fifth point, and the, some of these are rolling into a couple of singular points. So um, this point that I wanted to talk about is really about um, be careful what you wish for. Um, so those people that want to improve their teams and talk about excellence and talk about high-performing teams and um, be careful just what you're trying to prepare for. You know, there are a lot of really brilliant books on the subject of deep practice, purposeful practice and deliberate practice. You know, Damien Hughes is, is a guy that I've again, I've had in the podcast who's written a book about leadership and performance. Um, there are books by Ericsson and by Coyle um, on those subjects and you know you can even read Matthew Said's Bounce if you really just want the very basic entry point or something that Mal one of Malcolm Gladwell's books you know um, but you know the important thing to know is that there are certain things and conditions that you need to create for this high performance to be delivered and there are certain um, characteristics of this um, type of performance that you need to prepare yourselves for um, you know the first thing I'd say is most of the time it's not going to be fun either for 
you as a business owner for the salesperson or for the coach because you're asking them to do things that they probably didn't think they needed to do um, or they weren't aware of or they may be not able to do initially. So some of that training that you're going to undertake is not going to be fun. The kind of transformation will involve a change of attitude and behaviour and some of that attitude and behaviour may be ingrained and long-standing. And it's one of the things, again, going back to the importance of sales and marketing together, the marketing team may write the brand values and may write the mission and vision. The salespeople need to live it. The salespeople and the customer service need to put these values from the, from, a, you know, from the wall and from the textbooks into attitude and behavior. And that can be difficult sometimes to, for people to understand how that uniformity needs to be. Um, coaching is also, it can be considered either an investment or an expense. Um, you know, I think it's an investment if you think it's an expense, you're probably really not gearing up uh, to engage with the process properly because it's an investment in people and it's an investment in the business. Um, it also needs to be a constant, you know. I think um, a half day here and a half day there um, probably isn't going to give you any kind of results. And you need to have some kind of KPIs attached to the duration as well. Some of the work is repetitive, okay. Um, but Bear in mind that repetition does not lead to improvement and obviously doing the same thing over and over again is a well-documented idiom from Einstein. Um, High-performance coaching will challenge the individual and the business owner um, but if you're doing the same thing over and over again then you're not being challenged enough. You should be doing the same thing again and again but each time to try and improve on the last. You know, So if you're, if you're making a certain volume of calls, if you're making a certain type of call, if you're making a certain type of presentation, if you're making writing a certain type of email, you know, it's about not writing the same thing over and over again. It's about trying to plot what went wrong with the last one and how you can improve on that. Um, most of the time the work is, is going to be mentally demanding. So it's probably not for the faint-hearted and you should feel at some point that, you know, you're mentally, and, uh, mentally challenged and exhausted by some of the activities. But mental fatigue and those kinds of challenges leads to certain behaviours following that. So if, if people are coming back from training courses and saying, oh yeah, it was really good and they really enjoyed it, they probably missed the point of a lot of it. That's not to say it should be um, challenging to the point where people really, really don't like it. And I, I'm certain that there have been some sessions where, you know, um, I've challenged I probably on reflection a little bit too much. But again, I would say that I don't think this is similar to teaching. I think this is more, selling, selling doesn't, offer you the opportunity to do resets. Um, if you're in business and you've got a sales team, some of these uh, clients in the sales life cycle come around once every three years, maybe maybe say come around every 18 months. So you've got one chance to try and crack this. So it's about trying to make improvements quickly. Um, again, these improvements need to be managed the whole way through. I hope that makes sense. Um, I probably explained it as badly as I could, but it's a, it's a, it's a fascinating topic. It's the sort of stuff that um, there are kind of two bodies of thinking. There's the body of thinking that thinks that sports science and um, high performance coaching is, you know, is the only thing. And then there are people who think that it's witchcraft. Um, I would be of the former. Um, I think that there are things that people can do to improve, but I also believe that those, um, those stages of improvement, they're not easy. So buckle up for the for the ride, I suppose. 
Um, another thing I would say is the um, that's really important when you consider your sales training. It's like almost prehab instead of rehab. I think sales training a lot of the time is like prehab or sort of rehab. You know, you're trying to fix something after something has gone wrong. And the very first stage would be well before that as part of prehab would be your recruitment strategy. It's like how much time and effort do you spend recruiting people? Some of the clients that I work with in Dublin um, have recruitment challenges in that um, they need people quickly um, and there's all sorts of people um, available and salaries are very high and then you've got people recruiting in Belfast and there is the same abundance of talent around and then as you move further into the less sort of urban areas you have got um, the challenges of trying to attract really good talent back from the cities back to the local towns and the local areas and that can be really challenging. Um, you know, if you start thinking about psychometric testing, which can be useful to determine behaviours and attitudes and values of candidates, um, you know, but you can't just run psychometric testing on its own. And then you've got to find out where do the values of your business sit. And if your values of your business sit aren't acknowledged and recognised by everybody, then I go back to the point about marketing and sales needing to work together because your business values need to be fairly transparent. Um, to be credible you know they just can't be written on a wall without having any kind of deep deeper meaning amongst your staff um you know the the cost of psychometric testing alone can be really really prohibitive for small businesses and again you know it's not a panacea um but it should also be used with other internal benchmarks um so that you can determine are these people fit for purpose or not i would always be an advocate of when you're recruiting somebody get them to present um, at least once, you know, and I would also advocate getting them to present not on something that you're familiar with, but on something that you're both not familiar with. Um, I went for a job way back in the 90s, um, it was Virgin Radio, and I was sec on the first interview. I had to, I was told to come back for a second interview and to prepare um, a presentation for the following day on um, the economic development of a certain region within the UK, which had completely nothing to do with advertising, marketing, media, radio, anything. But it challenged my thinking. It made me go out and try and um, think differently about a particular brief because everybody was coming at this brief from exactly the same position of strength or weakness. Um, so in other words, not everybody, some other people who were going for that job might have worked in radio before and would have been perceived as having an advantage over me Whereas with this brief, everybody was in the, exactly the same starting point. And um, it has stuck with me well. Taking it to another extreme, when you see some of the questions that Google um, ask of their candidates, which are just fucking ridiculous, but they're not. Um, they're probably ridiculous to those people who couldn't answer them, i.e. me. But those questions will determine you know, resilience. They'll determine a whole lot of other creative attributes that just simple questions based on a CV won't ask. So there's a lot of merit in that. Find the right program that suits your business. I think prehab in this instance is better than rehab. Prehab is probably always better than rehab. Um, if you think of sport and sports injuries or you think of business where you make decisions to go one direction and if only you had a better hindsight. Um, I think it's a really good example though of where you have convergence of values 
and those values are the values of the business, the values of your customers, and the values of your staff. Um, I think you can't fight against you know a clash in values if your staff don't have if you don't share if your staff don't share the same values um, as each other in the business and your customers then it's really hard to fight that and that's something that all recruitment strategies should be um, taken into account um, which is easier said than done in a market where um, there's low unemployment and um, people are perhaps looking for a little bit more purpose in their life um, and are happy to do things or can just move from one job to the other um, without any kind of responsibility. But that's for another time. Um, the other thing as well is, you know, that it's coaching is hard from the coach's perspective. Um, it's never easy and you try and pick things that, that will either inspire um, or motivate um, and lead people through the challenges and the changes of new ways of doing stuff. Um, I've always said that it's not about being right, it's about doing the right thing. And sometimes that, you know, on reflection, there are different ways of doing stuff, but with a, the, the common goal all the time should be development with the acknowledgement that some of that development isn't always going to be easy because if you're finding it easy, then you're not changing. Um, so thanks for listening. Um, I hope it made sense. I hope you got something out of it. If you want to get in touch with me at all, you can fire an email to info at shift-control.co.uk. Um, if you want to um, check out some of the stuff that I'd mentioned before, that book was called Transformative Digital Marketing by Jason Cormier, James Clark and Bill Eager and it's published on Room 214 Books, I think. The Blank Boy podcast is fairly easy on the ear as well and Carl Young does a really good uh, line in archetypes if you're interested in that kind of thing. So thanks for listening and I'll catch up with you again soon.